Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, the former West Ham and England striker Dean Ashton and TalkSport's Alex Crook as the Premier League weekend produces a mega game between the Masters. Andy Robertson's corner and Canate heads it in. 15 yards outside the box, Sterling, De Bruyne! Kevin De Bruyne! Scores his 10th league goal of the season. City and Liverpool clash as both look to remain on course for historic wins while Chelsea come under mounting pressure and Arsenal are feeling Tottenham's hot spurs. Everton's 68-year stay in the top flight is under serious threat and Watford could drag Leeds right back in. So much to get through on the podcast that is just about as valuable as a Maradona jersey from the 1986 World Cup. It is the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. Hello and welcome to the show. Did you see that in in the week? Uh, Steve Hodge, who played in England's midfield in 1986, has got Maradona's jersey from the World Cup quarterfinal that England lost by uh, two goals to one when Maradona scored those two goals, uh, one sublime, the other ridiculous, using his hand, um, valued at four million quid. Dean Ashton, did it send you scurrying up into the loft to find out uh, what you'd got left up there from your playing days? No, because I've got rid of mine years ago and we, you know, I wish maybe I'd kept a couple, but I certainly haven't had anything like a Maradona World Cup shirt, that's for, that's for sure. Uh, Crook, what a spoozing <laughs> weekend we've got. Grand Prix, the Masters and the Manchester City-Liverpool game all on Sunday. It's going to be like addictive, isn't it? Yeah, my head is already exploding, um, to be honest. And actually, we're recording this podcast Thursday morning. That's the start of the Grand National Meet. Looking forward to that. Uh, Masters coverage starts 2 o'clock Thursday afternoon. Uh, and then there'll be some football in between as well, I'm sure. Uh, the Premier League is the biggest league in the world, though. And the games do not get much bigger than this. But does the winner take it all? Easily away from Taylor, cuts it back to Gundogan. Super, super Manchester City goal. Quick as a flash. Walker, Sterling, Gundogan, 2-0. Benfica have all 11 back in the penalty area to defend. Andy Robertson's corner and Canate heads it in. Well, they had all 11 back, but they still gave Canate the freedom of the box to attack the delivery. Left-footed, out-swinging corner. 
and Canade just waltzed onto it and scores his first goal for Liverpool. 15 yards outside the box, Sterling, De Bruyne! Kevin De Bruyne scores his 10th league goal of the season on the occasion of his 200th Premier League appearance for Manchester City. Pressure, what pressure! Maite, Cater, oh he's played it through, Diaz, he's going to be round the goalkeeper and scores! Liverpool are going to win this by three goals to one! We're in this position, we are still in the in all competitions, we're playing good, we have we have all the chance still to, to win all those competitions as well, so just go for it and, and give everything as a, as a fan as well, support us like you always do and um, yeah, just just enjoy the ride like I said before. What a mouth-watering game this is in the middle of a season-defining two weeks for both these two sides. Salamane, Jota, Firmino, Diaz, Alexander-Arnold against De Bruyne, Grealish, Sterling, Foden, Cancelo. Often the big games that are hyped like this fall flat. But surely, Dean, this one won't. No, I just think there's such a great clash of styles. I mean, Liverpool's intensity alongside City's intensity but also their possession is just honestly I, I can't wait for this game I think um, I think it will be um, title defining I think it's that important because I I can't see where they're going to drop points elsewhere um, the only thing I would say is that you know City haven't lost to Liverpool in the Premier League since 2015 they've got a good record at home generally against Liverpool so I think it's all but for Liverpool to do. Um, and Salah's form is slightly worrying, you have to say. He scored um, he scored one in his last nine in all competitions, club and country, and that was a penalty. And he scored 10 games ago twice. They were both penalties. So he's not scored from open play in his last 10 games in yeah, all yeah, competitions, they're really, club they're really, and country. They're really struggling with that, aren't they? I mean, you know, because um, that Diaz fella has really struggled to fit in and that Jota fella doesn't score too many goals. <laughs> I know, but I'm talking about the big players in the biggest of games, and and we saw his goal earlier on in the season. That was incredible. That was when he was, um, you know, at his peak. And it just feels as if I'm just I'm just saying it's one of the one of the key components to the game. You would expect Salah to be a big player in the game, and he's he's out of form. Yeah. Um. Do you think we'll get a resolution to the title race in this game, Crook? I was with the Liverpool fan last night who said we have to win or they win the title. I actually think that it will end up being a draw, and the status quo will be maintained. I agree. Uh, somebody asked me last night who's going to win the big game on Sunday, and I said draw. And was accused of sitting on the fence, but I think it's so tight to call uh, two teams. Uh, not much between them in terms of quality. More than capable actually counselling each other out. I think this will be quite cagey um, because of what's at stake. I think if you look at the way that Atletico Madrid tried to stifle. Uh, Manchester City um, in midweek. Maybe Liverpool might learn some lessons from that. I think Dean's right to highlight uh, Mo Salah because he is a match winner uh, on his day. Absolutely no question about that. And the fact he's going to this game not in tip-top condition, uh, I think that will make the Manchester City defence uh, rest a little bit easier. I still think there's a twist to come in this title race. I don't necessarily think it comes on Sunday. I think there'll be a game where maybe you don't expect one of the teams to slip up yeah. and they will maybe a, a nil-nil draw away at Palace like we saw from Manchester City. I don't think both these teams will be absolutely 
foot perfect between now and the end of the season. But if, if you're asking me for a likely outcome this weekend, a draw, I think if Manchester City win the game, I think then it would be difficult to see Liverpool winning the title. Uh, Liverpool's still going to play Manchester United and Everton in the next couple of weeks. It's a massive April uh, for them. Um, it's interesting to think about how Liverpool will approach the game. They've won just two of their last 10 trips to the Etihad. As Dean has already pointed out, their record there is not very good. And despite their form, 10 games in a row, it's difficult for them to go there and play their natural game, Dean, isn't it? Because, you know, they won't be able to dominate the ball as much as they usually do, defend the halfway line, but they do have the ability to trouble City in behind if City do that. Yeah, and I think I think that's the way Liverpool will go. I don't necessarily think they will press as high as they as they normally do. You're right, that high line, they've been fantastic at, at using that high line. I think I've highlighted it a few times, and I did at the weekend against Watford, in terms of the space that they do vacate Liverpool. I don't think they'll necessarily do that. I think they'll feel their best opportunity will be maybe to sit a little bit deeper. Be really interested to see what midfield plays alongside Fabinho in terms of the two players that are going to sit just in front of, of him for Liverpool as to whether they maybe go slightly more defensive um, with a Henderson and a Milner or, or something slightly different um, and then just use that pace that they've got to, uh, to create in behind. But I think they're both going to have um, periods in the game where they dominate these two sides. It's, it's going to come down to fine margins in this game. I think a draw is a great shout because I can't see it being a free-flowing, lots of goals. I think it is going to be the odd goal. Uh, I've been to a lot of Liverpool matches recently and they are they have been seeing out results, especially in the Premier League. But I think that's largely down to the fact that the level of opponents that they've been playing, I think they'll be a lot sharper than they were against Watford, for example, because their blood will be up for this game. And, and, and as a result of that, you're probably likely to get a better spectacle. Sometimes stalemates, and particularly if, if you're talking about a low-scoring draw, it can be seen, as you mentioned, at the top of these big head-to-head clashes not delivering. I don't think that will be the case. I think whatever the outcome, it's going to be a, a fascinating watch. I think a, a brilliant tactical battle between Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola. But, but Liverpool will have to be sharper um, than they were against Watford. I think they probably had the easier uh, of the Champions League ties in midweek. I kind of had to travel uh, away from home, but I think uh, breaking down uh, Atleti and that anti-football, to quote our own Adrian Durham, probably took more of a toll on Manchester City than it will have done They are. On, they're on disgusting, aren't they? I mean, if they, they just <laughs> kicked the hell out of Jack Grealish for about 20 minutes towards the end of the game. At one stage, someone just kicked the ball in his face. It's like, well... It's not really the right way. And then we were in a, it's Crooky and I were in a WhatsApp group and we're talking about the new Manchester United manager. We'll get on to that another time. Um, and someone says, Diego Simeone. Like, well, why, would, why on earth would Manchester United, a club steeped in a culture of like producing great, wonderful football, uh, go down that road? I mean, it's just, it's just the key to just go, encourages his team to waste time, kick people and just try and edge their way through matches. I mean, he's just, no, 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 no. No one wants to watch that. No. Um, and he gets paid an awful lot of money to come up with uh, actually quite archaic tactics as well. It did make me laugh, Adrian's rant. I think he called them uh, Sunday League players. Uh, outhouses um, was uh, the polite term that, that he used. But I do think physically and mentally that would have been a, t- a tougher game for Man City than the Benfica game for Liverpool. Again, you're looking at, at small marginal gains. Maybe Liverpool could be 5% sharper as a result of that. It, listen, it's, it's going to be a brilliant game. Uh, whatever happens. And, and I guess you've, you've listed the players that can score the goals for Liverpool without Mo Salah. Maybe that, that extra firepower could come into it as well because I, 
I said at the start of the season, Manchester City couldn't win the league without a number nine. Um, <laughs> they've, they've gone some way to prove me wrong, but maybe in games like this, that could come back to haunt them. That's unlike you to uh, suggest that maybe, maybe that you might have slipped up because uh, you've, been, <laughs> you've, you've been doing the opposite for most of the year on the podcast. Um, well, what are the differences and weaknesses in these two teams now? Absolutely nothing, really. I mean, it's both, really, the squads are so ridiculously deep. If you were making a mythical combination 11, which I usually hate and I think is pointless, Actually, you'd agonise over every single position. They are so well-matched, aren't they, Dean? Yeah, they are. And I think when you just run deeper into, into the stats, the only big difference is possession. That's it, really. In terms of the way they... How hard they work off the ball, they're very, very similar. Um, you maybe say Liverpool score a few more goals, um, but it's that possession. It's It's... It's what do Liverpool do? Do we see one of those performances that I think when Liverpool play in a certain manner with a certain intensity, I don't think there's a team on the planet that can handle them. If they play in that that intense way where they press high and it's as a team that I've seen in the past, especially certain European nights I've seen, um, I, I don't think any team can cope with them. But if they allow City, which they're so good at, to, to just dominate the ball, I think City will edge it. So it, for me, it is all about how Liverpool go about trying to get a result away from home. Saturday isn't Saturday unless it's game day. Gordy! Oh my! They've come from behind! Everson plays a shell shot! The footballers, we, we expect pressure, whatever form it comes in, and you have to deal with it. Fred, an unlikely hero for Manchester United, smashes the ball! Into the roof of the net. Right now, we are not the favourites for sure for number four. Arsenal fail to climb above Spurs into the top four. Apologise to our supporters for the performance that we had. Accept all the criticism. Morpé right-footed has blazed it over the top. It is one of the worst Premier League penalties you are ever likely to see. And it's still Brighton nil, Norwich nil. Aston Villa turn up the volume inside Villa Park. Aston Villa are back in the game. Mr. Walsapapas, Kane is there and he's headed it in. And now this time he's certainly won it. This moment, uh, only on the table, we are a four. But the most important thing is uh, to see your team uh, that is in the race. Saturdays were made for game day and all the big games are here on TalkSport. Let's get to game day, Saturday 12.30, from one end of the scale to the other. Live on TalkSport on Saturday lunchtime, it's collapsing capitulated Everton against Moni Monday Manchester United. Um, first of all, let's reflect on the game on Wednesday night where Everton's attack created chance after chance, but the defence is just so nervy. They conceded three goals to a Burnley side that had previously scored zero goals in their last four games. I mean, you know, Dean and I talking before the game, suggesting that Sean Dyche's words of wisdom at half-time, lads, don't worry about it. They don't know how to win a game this lot. Was the motivation tactic that turned the whole thing on its tide. But actually, I thought it was Ben Godfrey collapsing under the weight of his own shoulders, probably because he's been carrying Michael Keane on them all year. <laughs> But just looking at those comments, though, from Sean Dyche, he was basically saying to his players, these lot are bottlers, you know, and, and, and they will bottle it. We, we prove we can uh, see our victories. They haven't done that. It was actually the first time all season, I think, that Burnley have come from behind at half-time to win a game, and that probably says more about Everton um, than it does about the Clarets. Uh, as you reminded me last night, Sam, I've been saying for a while, I think there will be three worst teams than Everton. 
Yeah. Results like that suggest that maybe well, you were getting cocky again, weren't you? Sort of having a go at Everton, saying that you'd you'd, you'd called it back in January when actually you've been saying every week since then that there'll be three worse teams than them. And then last no, night you were what, piling what in on did, them again. What I did say in January, and I took a lot of stick from Everton fans, was that their business in the transfer window wasn't really uh, fit for purpose. Mikalenko, a player who doesn't know the Premier League, Patterson, a player who actually hadn't played that many games at a senior level for Rangers. Deli Ali, who for me is the complete opposite type of character that you need in a relegation scrap. And Donny van der Beek, who actually is proving uh, Manchester United managers of the past correct uh, not to put faith in him in the Premier League. So there's massive problems at Everton. I know you think that Frank Lampard isn't to blame and, and actually it was suggested to me by somebody else at TalkSport last night that Rafa Benitez did the damage. I don't think you can give a manager who came in in, in January a completely free pass. He's won two Premier League games out of nine. January the 30th. He's chucked the players under more uh, buses than I care to imagine. And he isn't getting a tune out of these players. There's been no significant upturn in fortunes. The confidence looks shot. The belief looks uh, like it's through the floor. And, and you could say this is the perfect time to play Manchester United. But actually, the way that Arsenal lost on Monday night, it, it's still not too fanciful to say that United are part of the top four conversation. I think United will win this game. And I think Everton are in big, big trouble. I don't think... They've done particularly well, Everton, and far be it from me to suggest that Frank Lampard has gone in there and made a significant impact. I think he has made a level of impact, but I just think the players are so bad. They won one of 15 before his arrival. They've won four of 12 since his appointment. So there has been an uptick, but you know they're just so poor. They're, listen, I watched the game on, on Wednesday. And they actually were the best team in the match. You know, if you look at their expected goals for the match, they should have won it. But their defence is so, so bad. They've had problems with injuries as well. Remember, Andros Townsend's out for the season. Yeri Mina can't get fit. Um, Michael King was suspended, which was probably a bonus. Um, but um, look, they, they take on a Manchester United team now who actually, for whatever reason, I don't know why I believe this, but I actually think Everton might get something from this game. United have won just three of their last 11 Premier League away games. I don't even know how they might get something from the game, Dean, but I think they might. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, I'm, I'm similar. I don't, I don't believe that they will get anything from the game. Um, and, and I think Sean Dyche has really hit on something in what he said post-match. And it surprised me that he said it because you wouldn't want to give Everton anything to sort of go away and... And and, uh, and and use as, as fuel, but I just thought it was incredible that he came out and said that because I've been there. I was there with Norwich back in um, back in two thousand and five six, and we were the same. We could go two 0 up, but the minute we conceded a goal, we just capitulated. It's yeah. it's a mentality, and the, and the Everton players have not been there, so they maybe don't understand what it's like, and and the Burnley players have not to panic in certain situations and. It was a great example um, last night of a team that when they do concede, panic sets in and they just haven't got the confidence or the uh, or the organisation to cope. And I think it's going to be very similar. I think it might be tight. But I think if Manchester United get any sort of a foothold in the game, if they score a goal, I think they'll probably win the game comfortably because... The atmosphere is not going to be great if Manchester United can score first, which isn't a given considering their, their form. But I think this is a game Manchester United can win comfortably, actually. Um, obviously, you didn't hear the podcast on uh, Sunday Night Crook, but we did come up with a Sonic logo 
uh, for Everton, which is this. You know, like, you know, like, you know, Just Eat have the, everybody says Just Eat. You know, the, this is the Everton Sonic logo. So whenever you hear that, you know you're talking about Everton. Um, like him. <laughs> Everton have won six of their last 13 matches on home turf. And home advantage might make a difference in this game. Yeah, I think that's their best bet. And I think I'm right in saying they've got more home games left than they have away. But you, you dissect the fixtures. Um, they got Chelsea yes, at home. That's three points. Well, Manchester United aren't the force of old. So if Everton had anything about them, then they would see this as a big opportunity, I think, to pick up three points and just start to allay those relegation fears. But for all the reasons that we've already discussed, they haven't. And then you look at the rest of their running. I mean... You're obviously feeling a bit sorry for yourselves after uh, Chelsea's defeat yeah. against uh, Real Madrid. In bad midweek. week for me. Bad week for me. Poor <laughs> Frank getting battered and Chelsea being rubbish. But you still wouldn't put any money on on uh, Chelsea. Uh, sorry, on Everton to beat Chelsea. They've got a, a Merseyside derby. They've got Leicester, who seem to have found a bit of form. Uh, they go to Watford, which you have to say is probably their best chance of picking up a win. Uh, Brentford at home maybe falls into that category as well. Uh, Palace uh, at home is their final match um, at Goodison Park. And then they go to Arsenal, who might just need a win to get into the top four in the last day of the season. So if Everton are to stay up, it will come down to the point that I made about there being three worst teams, because at the moment, I don't think they're capable of saving themselves. Uh, a quick mention of the Friday night game. Newcastle with 31 points. They've won just four of their 14 home league fixtures. They're still without Trippier and Wilson. But a win, I think, Dean, against Wolverhampton Wanderers would keep them safe now, wouldn't it? I think so. I think just the the, the three defeats on the bouts have, have maybe hurt. The, but, you know, you've got Tottenham and Chelsea in there. So I think I think you've got to take that into account, even at the start of the season, even when they've got the best team out there, tough games. So I wouldn't be too worried if I was a Newcastle fan. I think they've done enough and I think they will be able to they're in the sort of realms and a few teams are that are down there that you're kind of one win away from being too far like Crookie said of the teams in the bottom three getting themselves out of it do you know what I mean you you giving them a hand I, I don't see that for Newcastle but I see Wolves winning this I've been really impressed with Wolves um, and interesting they've scored nine of their 33 goals in their last four games, Neto back, um, Trincao all of a sudden looks like the player that, that I thought was coming from Barcelona. Um, and Johnny gives them an extra dimension on, on the right-hand side. So I, I, I see Wolves being too strong for Newcastle, but I don't think it's an issue for Newcastle. I think they've done enough already. A Wolves win takes them above Manchester United before the Saturday morning fixture. Bruno Large has done a brilliant job with limited resources. As you say, he's got players coming back as well, which has really helped. Wherever they finish, they've had a great season. Um, Manchester United targeting Neves or... Maybe we should say the new Manchester United boss targeting Neves, Eric Ten Hag. Um, is he going to take over a team that are playing Conference League football next season? Possibly. Um, but as I say, call me uh, call me foolhardy. But I think with Arsenal losing uh, on Monday night, I, I did uh, dare to look at the, uh, the top of the league table, which I haven't done for some time. And it tells me Manchester United are only three points behind those Champions League places. So if they can find a bit of form and start winning some games, that they've still got a chance of being part of that conversation. It's a big if because the performances have been dreadful, really, since Ralph Rangnick um, came in. No surprise, the Ruben Neves link. I know he's someone that's been on Manchester United's radar for some time. They made tentative inquiries in January, and it was clear that if uh, if he was to leave Molyneux, it would be this summer and not in that transfer window. I expect a bit of interest and a bit of competition from Barcelona 
as well. But I'm pleased they've settled on Ten Hag. Um, not because you're I calling necessarily... it. You're calling, you're calling it. So the investigation is over. <laughs> is that right? I think the investigation is over, and I think in reality it's been over for a couple of weeks now. When United were putting out those vibes, that actually it's not a closed shop. There's still numerous contenders. I think from the moment they interviewed Ten Hag and, then, and I think they've spoken to Edwin van der Sar as well about him, I think they settled uh, that this would be the man to take them forward. Will he be a success? I said on Twitter last night, good luck to him because I think he'll need it. You know, he's going to inherit all the problems at Manchester United that previous managers have been unable to solve. For me, I'd feel a lot better about it if van der Sar was actually coming with him. Um, because I think there's still an issue when it comes to the board. Can we stop playing the Pink Panther music now, please? <laughs> Is it putting you off? Um, so I think unless he can get a hold of that behind-the-scenes structure um, and be able to run the club in his own image, as he has done at Ajax... Well, he doesn't run the club, does he? I mean, that's the point. I mean, he's just a head coach. That's what he does. He's a, he's a head coach. He's not a, he's not a manager. No, a manager isn't going to take charge of Manchester United. It doesn't work like that anymore. It can't work like that anymore. There's far too much to do now. But, well, therefore, I think this will be another uh, appointment that doesn't work out, and not necessarily because Ten Hag isn't a good manager, but because behind the scenes, Manchester United aren't fit for purpose in terms of challenging for, for the top four and, and challenging for titles. I think he's got an awful lot of work to do in terms of players going out, players coming in. I think there will be players who will benefit. I mean, he likes to play without and out wide men at Ajax, so that should be good news for Jaden Sancho and maybe Marcus Rashford as well. But the first job is, is to clear that toxic dressing room. It's interesting to see who he brings in in terms of um, his staff as well, because Rennie Moulinstein has been linked uh, with a return to the club. Uh, Steve McLaren has been uh, linked with Torn a return as an assistant because those two work together in opposite roles at FC20. Uh, McLaren very much sort of bigging him up, saying that he's the best in-game tactical manager since Fergie that he's ever seen. Um, and he's sort of worked with him, so he knows him very well. His attention to detail, brilliant. But he is just a coach, and he does like to play front foot football, and he can do that in the area Eredivisie because guess what? The rest of the teams are absolutely useless, yeah. and he's got the best resources in that division. At Manchester United, he isn't going to have that. He's not definitely not going to have the best squad in the league. So he's going to have to adapt and think about how he's going to play because we've already seen in the Champions League, you know, I think Benfica had four shots on goal against the Ajax and scored three of them in the uh, previous round of the competition. So you have to be a little bit careful. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. Right, okay, let's move on. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. 
With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. After a brilliant performance at home to Newcastle, Tottenham go to lacklustre, stuttering Aston Villa. Kane and Son Kulisevsky licking their lips at the Villa defence, who have come off the bridle since they realised they're in limbo. And actually, they haven't got too much to play for, Dean. No, um, and that inconsistency is evident for Villa. You know, win three and then lose three. You know, I think it's... I think it's going to be a big summer. I think that's probably what Steven Gerrard is looking at. And I think that will favour Tottenham because of that, because I think he's looking at players, Steven Gerrard, and thinking, do I actually want you next season? How's my team going to look next season? Um, and I think Tottenham, with the form that they're in, the goals that they're scoring, um, 21 goals in the last six Premier League games. I mean, I just, I find it hard. I'm doing this game for Talk Sport and I'm finding it hard to make a case for Aston Villa. Um, and and I, to be honest, I don't blame Steven Gerrard for probably tinkering a few bits here and there and finding the right players. I think it, that's, that is his job now to find out who he needs, who he wants for next season and then they can build again. Uh, West Ham, Arsenal and Wolves have all beaten Villa recently have won just five Premier League matches at home all season actually that's been a bit of an issue for them um, but Antonio Conte has put Tottenham Hotspur in pole position now hasn't he for a top four spot they have come into form at just the right time Crookie yeah and they've got a favourable running um, in discussing uh, them and Arsenal before Tottenham put Newcastle to the sword of the weekend. It looked like Tottenham uh, on paper had the opportunity to put more points on the board than their North London rivals. Uh, I'm sure the television companies and, and probably us at Talk Sport are hoping that it does come down to a, a straight shootout in that North London derby, hastily penciled in uh, for the final week of the season. Hastily is not uh, the right word, is it? Because it actually took them a long time <laughs> to pencil it in. Yeah. I mean, crikey. I mean, they were waiting right to the very end, the, the, the last window they could possibly get for that. But there will be people, and I'm not necessarily one of them, who would say it would be poetic justice if uh, Arsenal were to miss out on the top four in that fixture because, of course, there was a big suspicion when they called off the game earlier in the season that, that, that maybe they were the playing the system at the time when it was easier to get games called off due to COVID. No. We, can't, we, we can't confirm or, no, or deny that. <laughs> but I expect Spurs to, to win at the weekend. And I expect them to win relatively comfortably. You text me in the boot room last Sunday to stop having a pop at Steven Gerrard, but it's not been brilliant, has it, for Aston Villa since he came in? Let's be honest, they have been inconsistent. There have been some good performances, but there have been some pretty poor ones as well. And it does raise the question, Felipe Coutinho, is he too ambitious to stay at Aston Villa beyond the end of the season? Will there be clubs in the Champions League, in the upper echelons of the Premier League, that will try and prize him away? I think it's going to be a fascinating situation. Having a go at Stephen Gerrard and Frank Lampard, that's all you do. Just a jealous Man United fan from the 2000s. Uh, yeah, look, I thought they'd be brilliant, Tottenham. I, actually, when Antonio Conte was appointed, I thought that they've got every chance because they can get better. And Arsenal at the time, I thought, had probably topped out. I think Arsenal have hurt themselves, and we'll talk about Arsenal in just a, a few moments. But uh, I just wanted to say, uh, get well soon to the great Aussie Ardiles who had major heart surgery this week. Our best wishes uh, to him. He was, when I was growing up as a kid, I mean, he was part of the Tottenham team that sort of everybody loved watching because they were so expressive and so brilliant on the ball, so dazzling to watch. I mean, the, the whole to dare is to do 
motto comes from that sort of era, doesn't it? When you know Ozzy and Glenn and Chrissy Waddle were all playing, and they were they were fantastic to watch. So best wishes uh, to him. Um, well, 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 well. What has happened at Chelsea? Uh, they take on Southampton this weekend, three o'clock on Saturday. Uh, their defensive performance against Real Madrid was truly shocking. I'm still waiting for Trevor Sinclair to uh, return my text, uh, which uh, we've had a difference of opinion on Andreas Christensen for a while. But let's just say in that game, Bambi on ice. But he wasn't the only one. A midfield configuration again, which has been an issue all year. I think I was saying it to you when we were top of uh, when they were top of the league. Oh, that's Gordon slip. Uh, they were top of the league. Um, he's wrong. It's not right. And and Lukaku comes off the bench and he's just not reliable enough. He missed two golden chances, Dean. I mean, you would have you would have snaffled those up in a heartbeat, wouldn't you? Well, I think it was just exposed when you saw how cool and calm and creative Benzema was at the other end with, with, with his headers and the way Lukaku, especially the one where he really kind of snatched his neck at it and put it wide when it, when it seemed very easy just to put it in the, put it in the corner. And it, and it is an issue. It, it, it has been an issue um, since he, he got that injury after a bit of good form at the start of the season. It's, it's been an issue of how to get the best out of him certainly, and it feels like he doesn't maybe suit the way that Chelsea play. Um, but I think this is a great game. What a great game to have against a Saints side that literally have fallen off the end of a, of a cliff. You know, Hassan Hootel was being touted by, I think Glenn Hoddle said, Manchester United. Crook. And all of Crook. And, and all, Crook Crook. as well. And all of a sudden they nosedived. So I see Chelsea bouncing back, actually. I think Tuchel will have really torn into them and will do over the next few days. And, and I, I see Chelsea winning this comfortably, actually. The issue is, if they don't, Chelsea's season could collapse in double quick time, couldn't it? They lose this, they lose uh, the Champions League game next week. I mean, you're going to Madrid, so that's definitely put the mockers on them. They'll never get back <laughs> from 3-1 down in the Bernabeu anyway. Uh, then the FA Cup becomes their focus next Sunday, which is live on Talk Sport. You know, it's a pivotal week for Chelsea, for Liverpool, Manchester City as well, but for Chelsea in particular, because at the end of next Sunday, they could have absolutely nothing to play for. Yeah, and I made one of my bold claims, actually, um, when oh, the tour... Here we go. Crookie's bold claim. I said that I think Patrick Vieira will be leading a team out in the FA Cup final. I think it's written in the stars, uh, having kicked his last ball for Arsenal, scoring the winner uh, in a penalty shootout in the Cup final against Manchester United. I think he's proved himself this season to be a very capable manager. He's proved me wrong because I was worried for Palace, but they've been terrific. Um, I guess we'll preview that game in more detail next week I, I sort of agree with Dean about this weekend Southampton are on the beach I mean their season is over it ended with that FA Cup defeat uh, against Manchester City and they're such a streaky team they can go on long winning unbeaten runs but when they're not picking up victories uh, it's hard to see where the next one is coming from but I, I think there's pressure uh, on Chelsea and he will want a reaction uh, Thomas Tuchel to try and build up a bit of confidence uh, going into midweek because obviously they were hammered by Brentford last time out. And I know you touched on the podcast at the weekend that maybe now we're seeing some off-field issues actually seep into the dressing room. You mentioned the defence. I mean, you've got Christensen, Rudiger and Afpel Equator, uh, three players who could be playing their football elsewhere um, come next season. I know Afpel Equator is, is likely to stay, but the other two still very much up in the air. If, if uh, Christensen's sure. playing his football elsewhere, no one's going to complain about that. <laughs> 
But surely that's going to have an impact as well, Dean, when you've got three of your back five uh, effectively not knowing if they're going to be at the club beyond the end of the season. And I want to talk about Mason Mount as well, Sam, because you're the biggest Mason Mount fan in the world. Has he had the type of season that guarantees him? If, if the World Cup was happening this summer, would his form at club level be enough to get him in the England starting eleven? I'm not sure. Probably not, actually. I don't think he's played particularly well, but I think, as I've said to you, I think a number of times that midfield configuration is wrong. Then playing him in a, in a position where I'm not sure that he's able to do his best work. You look at last night, the, the start of the game. I mean, the first half, I mean, they changed it at half-time, actually. They brought Kovacic on at the break um, for N'Golo Conte. But Conte, Jorginho and Mount just doesn't work. Jorginho and Conte can't play in the same team. or it, It's not not against the top top teams, not against the best teams, because they leave too many spaces, because they both really want to do the same job, which is operate at the base of a midfield. And Conte trying to play further up means that when they do get into the final third, they lack a little bit of quality. Mount's trying to cover for that and add the little bit of creativity behind the front three. You know, Pulisic's playing as an, a sort of a second striker last night in the first 45 minutes, and He's not really doing that. It's it's not the right system. It doesn't fit. I mean, I think he's better, Mount, as one off the front, personally. But actually, he's not a winger. So that means that if you're playing with a system where you want wide, wide players, Ziyech and Pulisic, then it's unlikely that he's going to get into those two. So he plays a little bit deeper, maybe as a, a, a third midfielder in a three. And that isn't really his position either, unless you've got two dynamic number eights and one holding. But Chelsea seem to play two holders and one in front, and that that doesn't work. No, I, to be fair, I actually, I actually think Matt's been one of their best players. I think he is um, a victim of some of the players in front of him. No, you agree. can tell he's got a good a good link with Havertz, who's got that intelligence and 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 wonderful link play. When Werner and Lukaku are up there, I think Mount looks a little bit lost as to how's he gonna how's he gonna link with these two players and it's all a little bit too <laughs> a little one. bit too fra- exactly yeah a little bit too frantic. But I, I think he is uh he is the first name on the team sheet certainly for for Tuchel. Yeah um I agree with you Dean. Uh takeover latest Todd Bowley actually bowled up to Sanford Bridge yesterday. Uh, Wednesday night, he uh, he just walked in the ground, and there's pictures of him on his own, just strolling up. Um, we should get a preferred bidder by the beginning of next week, shouldn't we, Crook? Is that is that what you understand? Yeah, I'm I'm still slightly surprised he's dragging on as as long as it is. You know, I mean, I think we expected a, a much quicker sale, and I don't think it's it's doing Chelsea any favours uh, on the pitch. This continuing uncertainty, but I think you're right. I think by uh, the middle of next week, we we should know a little bit more. I think at the moment that Bowley consortium are, are the, the, the favourites, um, if you like. Um, so I think for Chelsea, the, the sooner a line is drawn under that and, and they know the future direction of the club, the better for, for all concerned because it, it must be having an impact in, in the dressing room now. It simply has to be. Arsenal taken apart by Palace on Monday night to shift favouritism to Tottenham in the race for fourth place. Uh, we now have a date for the North London derby to the 12th of May, as we've already mentioned, two games before the end. It's been a terrible week. Typical Arsenal showing in that game against uh, uh, Palace after a sturdy start to 2022 in the Premier League. But, well, I suppose the good news, Dean, is, is at least we know they won't concede this weekend when they take on Brighton live on TalkSport 2. <laughs> I know. Again, a bit like Southampton, when everyone was saying Graham Potter should be at this club, 
you know, where's he going to be next? The, the team has fa- <laughs> the team has fallen off uh, another cliff down at the south coast, and and you know they're, they're bottom three for goals per match, oh. and that's been evident in recent in recent games. You know they've they've scored once in seven Premier League games, and again for Arsenal, a bit like Chelsea, I think this this game couldn't have come at a better time for them. Just maybe when obviously the, the loss of Tierney and maybe Partey and. Uh, but I expect this from Arsenal. I, I, I know people are jumping on top of them because of the performance against Palace. But I fully expect these performances from Arsenal. They're a very, very young team. They're going to have the odd inconsistencies. They're going to have the odd game where everyone goes, well, what happened there? That is what happens with young players. I certainly believe they're going very much in the right direction. I still think they've got a great chance of the top four. I don't think Tottenham are going to win every single game from now till the end of the season. So they've just got to try and hopefully have had some composure. I think he tried to do that in his interview afterwards, Arteta. Yes, they could do with Lacazette actually, you know, finding the net because again, that's maybe putting pressure on why they let Aubameyang go and they let Chambers go as well. It just, when there's a defeat like this, I think all those things come out and are thrown at Arteta. But I expect this. I expect this from a young Arsenal team. Yeah, you do. You love Arteta, don't you? You're you're in the Arteta camp. Um, Crook and I have been a little <laughs> bit less glowing in our our praise of him. And I wonder whether or not he's actually paying for the price for, for selecting a small squad for the second half of the season. Six players left in January. And now Tierney is out for the season, as you mentioned. Uh, Thomas Partey's out long term. Tommy Yasu isn't fit yet. And if they don't get top four, having been in such a commanding position, those mistakes, those decisions will come into sharp focus. Yeah, and then it comes down to... Um the ability to recruit top level players in the summer in order to kick you on. Um, I think Lacazette will go. Um, I think he's been, he's been a decent captain uh, since taking the armband from Aubameyang, but he doesn't uh, offer enough in terms of scoring goals. And that is, that is his main focus, but there's going to be a big difference in the caliber of player that Arsenal can attract. If they're playing Europa league football next season, compared to if they're in the champions league, they've been linked with Darwin Nunez. Uh, for example, who did well for Benfica against Liverpool in midweek. He won't join Arsenal if they're in the Europa League. So this is a pivotal few weeks. I sort of agree with Dean. I think they are moving in the right direction, but it will be a significant setback if they don't finish in the top four, having got themselves in a position of authority. But the pressure was always going to be intensified um, because early in the season, nobody was talking about Arsenal for top four. So they could almost go about their business quietly under the radar. Now, everybody's telling those young players they're favourites for Champions League football. And that does bring a different pressure. And you have to say they're wilted under that pressure um, against Crystal Palace. It was a very different type of Arsenal performance uh, from their last away game that I commentated for Talk Sport against Aston Villa when I was impressed with their character. I didn't see much character from Arsenal on Monday night. And definitely, it's been a mistake to shrink the squad as much as they have. And they're not learning lessons. Thomas Partey, I think I'm right in saying, was sent off um, against Liverpool after returning from the last round uh, of international matches because he didn't look like he was uh, mentally and physically prepared. And he's got injured now, again, having been away with Ghana. I think Mikel Arteta will be very disappointed in Scotland that Tierney started both uh, of their friendly matches because we know that Tierney does have a history of picking up injuries. But but the, the players they've got in backup just aren't 
really fit for purpose. Tavares had a wretched second half of the season going back to when he was hauled off after half an hour against Nottingham Forest. We said at the time that that would dent his confidence. I think it certainly has so. And when they're looking for goals, the only real option to come on and boost the forward line is Eddie Nketiah, who's a mid-table Premier League player at best. Watford have lost eight in a row at home, but if they were to beat Leeds on Saturday, they Leeds have got two games in hand on Everton and Burnley. That would pull Jesse Marsh's team right back in it, wouldn't it, Dean? Um, yes, I suppose you would have to say it, it, it does. Um, I just, again, I, I look at what Roy's trying to do um, at Watford. He's desperately trying to turn them into what Palace were, which is, you know, a, a really low block of a defence and midfield and then a little bit of pace and and and, and, and magic on the counter-attack. Um, I think... I think Leeds are going to win this game because I think Leeds are going to swarm all over them. I don't think that um, that Watford and that defence is good enough, actually. And I've seen enough from Leeds. I know they haven't quite picked up the results they probably would have liked, but I've, I've seen enough in them to, uh, to believe that, again, that they're another one of those sides where another win, you know, and that just gives you enough. I, I, again, I've been there in the bottom three. If you see, if Watford see and get beat by Leeds. That's it. You know, Watford, Watford and Leeds, you can forget about those two in terms of the competitiveness. And, and, and that's all it takes. And I just see a little bit more, a little bit more fight from Leeds than I maybe do from the likes of, a, of an Everton, certainly. Uh, Leeds without a clean sheet in 17 games and they've conceded 29 goals in their last nine away games. Watford gave Liverpool a few scares last week, had three great chances to score, didn't take them. Will they take them at home to Leeds, Crook? Are you, or have you of the same opinion as Dean that actually Leeds just look more up for the fight than Watford do? Yeah, I, th- I think they do. Um, I would agree with that. I think there are certain Watford players who look resigned to their fight. But having said that, as you mentioned, they did have big chances um, against Liverpool. I think when Roy Hodgson was appointed, we knew that he would improve them defensively. I think he's done that to a point, although you still can't see them giving too many clean sheets. But the forward players aren't really firing, are they, as they were earlier in the season? Emmanuel Dennis seems to have dried up in terms of goals. Ishmael Assar has been in and out of fitness and hasn't been able to hit top gear, top gear of missing persons out for for Josh King who only seems to turn up uh, against clubs either that he's played for and feels he's been scorned or that he hasn't played for uh, in the case of Manchester United and feels he's been scorned because they didn't buy him back so I do question Watford's motivation and I think Leeds can win this game and I think if they do win this game then you can stop talking about them as as relegation candidates as well Big chance for Burnley to put back-to-back wins together and put Everton in a real sticky position they could end up if Everton don't win their game on Saturday lunchtime and Burnley win their match away at Norwich on Sunday at 2 o'clock, then Everton will be in the bottom three. Uh, Norwich, no wins in seven. Look, easy pickings, don't they? Yes, they do. Um, But they have done all season. You know, they just can't even buy a goal, really, can they? 18 goals in 30 games for for Norwich is just pathetic, if I'm honest. It is. It's it's pathetic in terms of um, being a threat. Um, And I think that Dean Smith at times has improved them defensively, dare I say, but um, and they've been more competitive without really looking like they're going to win games and they've just got a soft underbelly and I think Burnley with that win, they'll really feel it. And I think what's so crucial is that early game for, for, for Everton. 
So the teams like Watford, like Burnley, they're all looking at that game. They're praying Manchester United do them a favour. And if they do, that gives you extra motivation as a player to think, right, Burnley, we can go ahead now. We can get out and away from that dotted line. Watford will think, right, we can now draw level with, with Everton. I think that game is so big for Everton that it's going gonna, it's gonna to dictate and probably we'll see how Watford and Burnley go about their games depending on how Everton get on. Because yeah. that's, how, that's how big the mentality is down there at the bottom. You need that, that extra motivation to be able to, to get across. And that's why I said I, I favour Leeds because I've seen so much fight in Leeds that I maybe haven't seen in other teams. And, and I don't think fight is something that we're going to be crashing at Burnley and, and they'll just have too much for Norwich. You haven't got a lot of fight. Yeah, I think the key thing is, is that there's probably two big games at the weekend. One mega game on Sunday afternoon, 4.30 Liverpool against Manchester City at the Etihad. But I don't think we'll learn as much from that match as we will from Everton against Manchester United. I think the impact of Everton-Manchester United will be more far-reaching than any other game this weekend. Yeah, and again, because it's set up as, as the early kickoff, um, if if Everton win the game, something that applies a, a whole fresh batch of pressure on Burnley on Sunday. If they don't win the game, then Burnley will see it as a huge opportunity um, to haul themselves out of the bottom three. And I mean, you've mentioned a couple of teams that you want to be facing at this moment in time in Southampton and Brighton. I, I would put Norwich in that um, category as well. I think on another day, they'd have got hammered uh, at the Amex. If they, if they were playing a side who had anything um, up front, then it would have been a comfortable Brighton win. That goal return is poultry, uh, as Dean has said. And again, I've got a stick at the start of the season for questioning Norwich's recruitment and questioning their desire to stay in the Premier League. Okay. I constantly get, you know, pulled aside. You know, Crook, he's a disgrace. What is he saying about our club? Honestly, your name is running through the streets of Norwich still. I don't think you're allowed back. Are you, are you sure? You, he's never been there anyway. To... But, but have I been proved wrong? I mean, I, I think they've been a dreadful addition to the Premier League. I think they've contributed nothing from the first game of the season until we sit here in mid-April. I think they've stumped the place out, to be quite honest. Yeah, it's been a bit of a waste of a season for Norwich, really. I mean, OK, so they'll probably make some money out of it, but really and truly, I mean, in entertainment-wise, I mean, not one game have you gone into and thought, oh, Norwich have got a chance today. I mean, it's almost like every week, if they get anything out of a game, it's a major, major shock, isn't it? I mean, like you said, 18 yeah, goals over the season. It's embarrassing. I've, I've just felt pity for them. That's that's probably is. And you're one of their I you're felt. one of their own. Well, exactly, and and I live in in the city, and I know how it changes the city whether they're doing well or not, and that's how it's felt. Everyone's felt a little bit sorry for themselves, and it's felt I've I've just felt pity for watching them, and that was a great example at the weekend. I think Brighton had thirty shots, and Norwich didn't have one on target, and and. You know, a couple of the guys I follow on Twitter that, that, that go to the games and follow Norwich and someone just said, uh, please let it stop. <laughs> <laughs> they could have said that in August. <laughs> uh, Brentford have had a brilliant season. They've shown how you should come up from the championship. West Ham have had a good season too. Seven games to go for both of them. West Ham eyeing up another European campaign. 
And they might be the ones, actually, alongside Wolverhampton Wanderers, that push Manchester United into the Conference League and next season. They've done particularly well, I think, and even adjusting to the fact that uh, they've been playing in the Europa League, Dean, because that's obviously taken a lot out of them. It has. I've only got admiration, I think, for this West Ham team, especially the players that are put out there game in, game out, without much rest, because West Ham didn't put their hand in the pocket in January when I felt they should have done and they keep ploughing on, they keep getting results, they keep surprising, I think, a lot of people in terms of being able just to keep keep their hopes alive of top four with what they're doing in, in Europe as well. Bowen's back, which is a, a huge bonus. Um, I just, I think it'll all depend on, on how it goes on Thursday. I think they've shown that it takes a lot out of them, and it will do. I think the emotional side of it as well, being at home on Thursday to Lyon, uh, tonight, sorry, uh, against Leon, and, and emotionally, how much that takes out of them, and, and a sort of, uh, a sort of, you know, a more bright, upbeat Brentford. And what a signing, Ericsson! What a signing that is for any team that's that was down there. That's just it's a genius signing. Uh, all hail Patrick Vieira for a wonderful job that he's done at Crystal Palace. I sat here last week and said I think they would trouble Arsenal, but even I couldn't have envisaged how savagely they would take Arsenal apart. But they might have one eye on that FA Cup semi-final when they go to Leicester, who themselves are distracted because they're going after the inaugural Europa Conference League group. Yeah, it's a question of which team wants this game less, really, isn't it? But um, I think Crystal Palace will be motivated. They sit in ninth place uh, in the Premier League as it stands. They're on course for their their highest ever Premier League finish. They're not going to bridge the gap to the top eight because they're 12 points behind. But we know that Patrick Vieira um, is a born winner. And we know that financially uh, finishing uh, as high as you can on the table will have its rewards when it comes to the summer transfer window. And they're going to need a few uh, million pounds, I think, to keep Conor Gallagher um, beyond the end of the season. So um, I'm expecting another good performance from Crystal Palace. And I think Leicester with... One eye maybe on the second leg of their Europa League tie against PSV Eindhoven uh, might just be there for the taking this weekend. OK, uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it. Dean, thank you very much. Crookie, thank you very much. It's see always you. a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to see you too. We spent a lot of time together over the last couple of weeks. Dean, I'm a bit disappointed that we're not seeing each other this weekend. Um, but uh, I'm sure that will happen very soon. Uh, Alex, see you on Sunday. Um, that's it from us. We're back Monday morning when you wake up looking back on the big city Liverpool tussle and safe in the knowledge that both Everton and Manchester United both can't lose um, that is the start of game day on TalkSport 12.30 I hope you can join us for that Rushman is back and Trevor and I will be at Goodison Park for what is a cracking start to a great weekend The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes the latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.